0: Dr. Joy, an award-winning psychologist, Fulbright scholar, management consultant, leadership expert, and holistic healer, on a mission to rehumanize our inner and outer worlds so that we holistically thrive, starting with the world of work. Hello, Dr. Joy. Thank you so much for being here. It's such a it's such an honor, Dr. Joy. To get us started, I um I have been doing the work of personal and organizational transformation for many years. I care a lot about the path um, of understanding like where we're going, but beginning with understanding who we are and how we came to be who we are. And so as the first question, I thought I'd like to turn that question to you and ask you, tell us a little bit about who you are and the path that led you to become the person you are. Who is Dr. Joy and how did you become who you are?
1: I'm going through it as we are speaking right now, for instance of just locating where I am, really, and taking the look back to see where I've I've come, Um, but I'm really so focused on the future um, right now, but I think when I was just sitting and thinking about our conversation and just introducing who I am, I think it was so important to actually position it first from a place of um, the self outside of work, the unbounded self, if if I can put it that way, which we almost get to when we get into this unraveling process. Sometimes it's a crisis, something happens, you know, and you tend to ask those bigger questions. Sometimes it's this accumulation of this deep dissatisfaction, or maybe even confusion about like where. Where do I need to be and um, how do I define who I am? And I think me, definitely, um, I started asking those big questions when I experienced a lot of this recently in my life with my, my father, um, both my fathers. So I grew up actually um, with my stepfather and my mom. Uh, my biological father was never in my life until later on. So I guess I always grew up with this sense of just like being this outsider, um, sort of being, even within my family system. So from a very young age, I've always just been curious about, um, human behavior. Like, you know, starting with sometimes even painful questions, like, you know, why did this man that called himself my father to leave and just like kind of, uh, uh, decide not to take part in this life and over time you just kind of get to understand a little bit more of um, who you are to fight that and I'm sure that's the story that a lot of people that grew up in perhaps even marginalized uh, a community background have and share together but one thing for sure that seems consistent throughout the identity of who I am is that I'm a believer, um, theater and in a very big way. Like I believe in my creator that I did come from somewhere. Uh, I believe that um, in in life, in all of life, and that it's purposeful and there's a reason that we are all here. And that's a big part of my identity that I've w- I've woken up to just the last few years. Um, part of apart from you know being an award winning psychologist. And being a global leader and a full-blown scholar and all those big terms, which were amazing experiences, you know, I won't um, take that away. But I think at the core of the unraveling is realizing I'm a believer, I'm a probable creation, um, I'm an earth being as well. So that I, 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 when I step outside of my door, there's a certain consciousness about who I am in relation to everything else around me, and um, that is what Africans call Ubuntu, uh, a philosophy of I am because we are, and in most cases we look at it from the this essence of um, an interconnected humanity, but after studying Ubuntu for three years at Tepidane actually, I left my continent, those no studies would do in America. <laughs> and i have just deep diving in that and trying to keep relevant in the larger story of, of how leadership is transforming and how I'm transforming as I show up as a global leader. Um, I kind of just realized that there's a lot of commonality in who we are as humans as well, right? Yes, there's a bigger regional identity, but being an African. But for instance, we connected regardless of that. Perhaps there's that same value of being Black, woman. Um, but I think you said it quite well in the beginning that like it was beyond those tactics. It was at this place of here we are, enjoying this work, being called to um, co create together and sort of Add value in passions that inter inter intersect, right? And close to that is also then my identity also as a lover, um, as well. Um, That's something that we hardly ever mention in professional spaces. um, But after just going through an intentional process of self rediscovery I'm owning more. Being a lover, I love ideas. I love um, living. I I love words. I love experiences, travel, and I love hard, right? And and that's also just influenced um how I show up and the importance of kindness um in how I interact with people as as an earth being, um a fellow earth being what really pull pulls it down to a sense of, of commonality. So I mean as I said, it's still such an evolving um sense-making process for me right now, and I appreciate this this question, actually, because it's kind of forcing me to dive deeper into my oasis, my waters, about, like, what's at the core of it, and um, I'm slowly coming to that, and most importantly, showing up with it more fully in the spaces that I influence and occupy.
0: I love your answer. I always do. Every time we, we speak, I feel so um, inspired by the way that you kind of refuse to make things too small or overly simple, like simple as in simplicity is beautiful and wonderful, but everything doesn't have to be one thing or another, right? That, that you know, I, you talk about Ubuntu and you talk about I am because we are and then you expand and talk about consciousness and and spirituality and being a lover and you unpack what that means in ways that help all of those things be connected to each other. <clears throat> and so the ways in which you're able to talk about um, who you are and the work that you do and the accomplishments that you've had and the way that you show up in spaces where you're helping others on their journey as all part of the same narrative is so helpful for somebody mm-hmm. like me who's often been told to make things smaller to make things more finite so that it's easier for everybody to understand you know when I've in in past I've I've had so many people say to me listen in order to market yourself you have to just pick a bucket you have to make it really simple for people to understand what you do you have to be you know, either an equity, diversity and inclusion person or a leadership person or a management expert or or a consultant or whatever it is. You have to pick a bucket. Um, and I think in your situation, it's so it's so similar. You, may, you probably even have more <laughs> buckets than I do. Um, and so to be able to embody and also reinforce that being all of those things at the same time is the brilliance. And just because it's not easy to understand means maybe the messaging needs to be tweaked and maybe it's part of the process of kind of transformation that's happening around the world right now, where we're going from being very simple and kind of binary and to being much more expansive in the way that we think about not just ourselves, but also the world. You and I have talked about this before too. And
1: I think it's normal when you enter that space of unknown newness for us to catch up with the language of expressing what it is they're going through. You know, um, when I read up on a lot of teachers that are talking about this time, this moment that we're in of great transformation, you know, they speak about how this is when we define whether we want to be deliberate in how we sort of define the moment for ourselves um, and and the role that we want to play or or do we want to just be part of the story. Um, and then when we look back and, and tell the story of what um, has happened to you um, as well, of course you'll struggle with the language for it at first. You know, and it's through these engagements that I speak to you and slowly expand my vocabulary a little bit more because of just your maybe life experience. I'm like, Ooh, nice word. But more than nice word, it's like, love how you put that, actually. You know, you've helped me really just articulate and look at that at a better lens. And I've, I've, I've made peace with that unknown a little bit more. But I think, to be fair, um, it's easier to be me now that I'm a founder than when I was in a very big Deloitte institution, for instance, where what you're saying around buckets is definitely still a part of the possible power yeah, I guess market yourself or self-promote um, in the workplace, which we don't talk about it a lot, but it, it plays a very big role in terms of your growth and movement um, within the space uh, regardless of, of of how you, you do it or not.
0: So help me understand a little bit more, because I love what you just said also about being a founder. I know that you are the founder of Nobolanga Tribe. I'm very interested to learn more about that work. And also, how do you, um, the, the kind of work that you're doing with your clients and customers related to this idea of transformation and transformational leadership, tell us a little bit more about that work.
1: Mm. So what we've come to learn um, as students of leadership is that it's not just transformational in terms of what we found through, I think, transformational leadership also came to the context of the financial crisis that China like sort of found um back from that sort of depressed uh market and kind of inject some charisma into the system etc to change right and um, but what we're finding is that leadership is tending not in terms of the style um and its horizontal sense of um is this a Situational leader versus a transformation leader versus a, a, a conscious leader, respons- responsible leader, etc. Um, it's more now about the actual worldview of how you then show up as a leader. So, for instance, um, the first year of leadership that we know when we get into this sort of car, <laughs> itself, of understanding leadership is, of course, what we know leadership to be traditional, you know, that command, control, uh, maybe sometimes a little bit of visioning, you know, looking ahead, et cetera. Um,
0: And then over
1: time, there was a shift, right, that's moving now into the work that we do now around inclusion. um, Can leaders be more participatory? Um, Can we have a more shared approach to how we see leadership to be? as opposed to it being um, something that is so bounded in a title or in a person or in even a level or even a select few people at the top that we call leaders, is there a way to look at it in the second year where we expand about it and a bit more post-heroic? And I know we spoke about this a little bit um, a few months ago, and I love what you brought into my reasoning around it, that perhaps we need to even think of a new word that's not about post-heroic, that's just explaining in in, in an affirmative way what it is outside of past and its legacy um, that we've known because it's so entrenched into um, our system. Even in Africa, right, as I said, I had to leave South Africa to then get myself obviously into this space where you can think a bit more bigger and, and in an unbounded way. And, and we also trying to find solutions from the first world um, in terms of, you know, what's out there to support this developing continent and region. And then when you get there and you hear them talking about how you've basically been just brought up from a young age, particularly when you just look at indigenous brain Um, where it's still alive uh, especially in the home right but something happens when you now get given a title and enter a fancy office we kind of forget that the teachings of being human of being inclusive of recognizing another person of acknowledging that we can actually go far together um, and and that is breeding a different kind of leadership that has always been present in the fabric Fabrics of our ancient society, but we have lost it ourselves as Africans because of our need to also compete, because of greed, you know, because of selfishness, um, and all sorts of things. Um, when I write about like personal wellness and connected to the well-being of systems, right, where the leader is actually. Um, influencing, right, influencing people's spaces and things and ideas, um, this person needs to think in a way that's outside of themselves. In fact, what we're seeing in research is that the more they put pressure on themselves to have the answers and know everything and command and control and like categorize, this world that we're living in now is just shuffling everything and causing even more stress into the system, where now the selectors people that we have collectively defined as leaders holds this immense responsibility that actually means every one of us stepping into our power and our own sense of leadership um, in impact, impacting our inner and outer world. And I think that's kind of the dynamics I've been seeing in terms of what's happening uh, in the leadership scholarship of fraternity, but also how it actually relates practically to my context as as an African leader who's in the global landscape, who loves the culture and wants to infuse it and also adding value, but understanding that, you know, it's in a global environment where perhaps we need to um, pace it a little bit more, not just for Americans or Europeans, but even for Africans themselves who, like, I and maybe even relearn some of the things that the grandmothers, um have embedded in, in terms of what leading is, outside of it being a tool for business. Yes, yes. Because I think we've just looked at the definition of leadership within the context of serving a capitalistic society. I don't know what your thoughts
0: are on that. Oh my goodness, yes, I absolutely Um, I mean, we have examples of some leaders, right, who have been leaders um, around causes, for example, who weren't necessarily serving a capitalistic structure. However, they're more rare and they lived very difficult lives. They often lived in either tremendous danger or poverty, impoverished and persecution. So it hasn't been. They've been seen as heroic because of their tremendous sacrifice rather than something that is aspirational and that we um, pour into and support. But I, I love the way that you also described. And I always find this fascinating when we have this conversation about leadership, because in my mind, coming from the United States, I just imagine Oh my goodness the world is shifting and we're finally shifting towards ancient wisdom thank goodness we're fighting i believe that the world is shifting towards ancient wisdom and then we have a conversation and we talk about tradition like traditional leadership and i'm like oh no wait the way that we've been you know doing this in the united states and these very kind of westernized ways that have been you know 50 or 60 years old and very much about People who don't necessarily look like us in any way, who don't have the same kind of pedigree or gender identities or racial backgrounds or any of that, who have been defining leadership again in these capitalistic structures for structures for the purpose of business um, that 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 we are calling that traditional. And I, I I'm excited about you know unlearning traditional. Maybe in a specific context it worked well and it was or it worked it was it did what it was supposed to do but this ancient and emerging wisdom. And I think even in your bio, you describe you know, your work as being kind of a combination of ancient and emerging, because there is something really amazing and, and powerful about ancient. And there is um, some, some real resonance with me that there is also something new. There's also something that's very present that we need to acknowledge and honor as well. And that wasn't necessarily part of where we've been in the past, because we're also connected, because of the conversations that can happen across the globe simultaneously, because of, you know, things like podcasts and Zoom and, and social media. So the ancient and emerging and the ability for us to see ourselves kind of growing towards something that is going to be the next wave of how we show up in the world is going to be really powerful. However, yeah. I still don't know exactly what it's going to look like in a way that's not only driven by a capitalist agenda, right? That also allows for the, the kind of equity that the world is calling for, right? People are asking for more equity than currently exists. And that is currently being kind of cultivated. And so we need to find that path as well as something that's going to be more sustainable. But I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but I feel like we're going in that direction for sure.
1: Mm, I agree. In fact, sometimes I feel as if we tend to not even be aware just how encouraged we are in this particular society and how, norm- how normal we've made it. And I recognized that just a few days ago where, I mean, I, I get invited to speak quite a lot. And um, two days ago, I was speaking at a conference in the UK amongst coaches. And it was a climate change, broader conversation. But then within that space, I don't know if you've seen also the advances um, they've included uh, Jedi work there, justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. Um And I just, you know, at first, when I I kind of, I had, let um, I me mean, <laughs> tell the story, wow, well and not write it. <laughs> at first, I had not fully prepared myself for the conversation. There was just a lot going on with me. But. Once I finally did enough, just present, fully present in the conversation and engaging about just the dynamics of ethics and coaching and, um, how can we hold space for a particular agenda where sometimes it's the people that pay the bills are uh, against that. How does the coach navigate that, like, sort of space, et cetera? And, and the myth that we need to start busting for us to get into a, Higher consciousness around climate change. And I think that was my first climate sort of change conference I've been to. And I remember after that debriefing with one of my friends, and saying, I feel so re energized. Like, I feel like I just went into a different dimension <laughs> when I was in that um, conference because the level of conversation was just at this complexity and this ability to think systemically. Yes, acknowledging that there needs to be capital and the economy of things, but thinking really beyond that, and it took me stepping out of my norm and into this new space, and I'm glad I didn't say enough for it so that I can fully just experience that it feels so different, and it made me really pay attention to hmm, the type of conversations I want to have and my ability to influence with this course, regardless of the space I find myself in. Um, And it it takes a lot of courage, but I think that's where we can find expression um, in who we are and that connection or integration with with our work.
0: I I agree so much with what you just said. And that's one of the things that has been, I think, kind of a benefit of COVID and the pandemic is um, as horrifying as it's been in so many ways. It's also really forced um, a- an opportunity for people to travel more and to be a bit more uh, nomadic or to be a bit more um, free to live and experience different things. And there's part of me that No, there's actually the fabric of me the the fabric of me believes that if we are going to do this work around equity diversity and inclusion around kind of transforming ourselves around finding a path forward we have to get into different spaces we have to get out of our own comfort zone we have to get into a learning zone and a learning zone is just outside of a comfort zone right (laughs) to learn we have to be willing to be courageous we have to put ourselves in new spaces We have to expand the ways in which we intake information, but also the ways in which potentially we think about and interrogate sometimes our own belief systems to allow ourselves to have new language, new ways of communicating that allow us to develop a skill set that we have not had to date necessarily, or, and that's going to be absolutely essential for where we're going next. And so, you know, you going to the UK or you coming to the U.S. to study, Ubuntu is a you know it's a great example of that sometimes getting out of our context to, even to 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 reflect on something that is part of the context that we've been in is so important it's like a fish needing to leave the water in order to fully analyze the water to think about you know what the water means from the From the point of view of a fish requires leaving the water and realizing and recognizing the value and, and understanding what the absence of that experience is in order right. to fully immerse ourselves again. And that's the, and that's the beautiful journey that I think so many of us right. are on. and I and I encourage at least the clients that I work with and the, the people I'm surrounded by, but I definitely try to live by that. And I know that that's something also that you value, which has been so powerful as a learning experience for me as well with you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I, w- I, w- I want to ask you, I want to take our conversation to one level, a bit more kind of um, practical. Um, you and I have worked together in um, in my organization at Dietta Jones and Associates. We have something called the Inclusive Managers Toolkit. And you have been one of the faculty members for that. Absolutely bringing your deep expertise around um, leadership and around management, around organizational and individual effectiveness, um, and also bringing you know in a very powerful way, kind of the 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 reminder to all of the people who participate in that experience how important it is that there is wisdom that comes from all parts of the world, and that we are we are constantly seeing ourselves as learning from wisdom in many coming from many different places and many different voices. I'd love to get, and I also know that you have a very robust uh, list of clients and people that you've worked with for many years. I'd love to get your perspective on the role of managers. I'm getting very practical here. What is the role? And we think about in an organizational context and the leadership and pushing and understanding leadership to be something that needs to be present in many places and in many parts of our world. What do you think is the unique role of people who are managers of other people in organizations for helping some of the transformation we seek?
1: Hmm. I think it, it gives you a unique opportunity within the organizational system, well firstly to exercise your power. So that's permission. Um, and remember, if there's certain roles within the system, and if you're not within that sort of role um, category, you won't be able to express certain things, push certain things, etc. So managers have a unique ability to use their power um, within the space. And for me, generally, it's really about um, moving execution. So we speak a lot about the differences between leadership and management, right? And I love, of course, um, leadership. I've also just tended to grow to love management more as I get practical into my world of getting just things completed, things finished, driving process, driving activity, and driving execution, which is a key element that we forget about. But it's so different from when we talk about this conversation of things. And now when I have to go sit in front of the CEO and tell him exactly how we're going to strategize around his um EDI uh culture drivers for instance and what is the ROI <laughs> of of all of that. So I think that's the unique um role of management. But even in saying that, you know, and you look at the work of people like I'm not remember his name now before I forget. Merrick and Henry Mitchberg. Um he speaks a lot of management, but I found him when I was researching Ubuntu because he says that manager's role, the manager's role, is to drive communityship within the organization. In fact, he's like perhaps we don't even need this term called leadership because it's so tainted with all these other things, right? Um, that make it so heavy and, and political. Uh, and then he introduced the term community ship and I thought it was so brilliant, particularly in terms of the style of management that you are uh talking about. in that yes, managers drive process, but there's also a style and a way of driving process that you need to be sort of uh, aware about and what then becomes unique from a person who manages people versus a self manager instance or this independent contributor um, is that they then also can look at the dynamics of how am I impacting this value creation process, you know, and looking at it from a sort of broader uh, perspective as opposed to when you're a contributor, you're just looking at your piece, right, of the, of the value chain, whereas leaders managers, rather, more specifically need to know how all these pieces fit together and how him or her as the manager fits within the process as well.
0: Brilliant. I love that. It's funny. I've studied Mintzberg, but I hadn't picked up on that specific language. I'm, I'm going to go back because I think it's brilliant. And it's exactly, to me, it feels like such a resonant answer to the question because you're right. It's not just the thing that has been more sexy or glamorous in the past leadership management is really where so managers touch so many things in more practical day to day ways that allow for things to either flow or get stuck right and to be Mm -hmm. able to see oneself as having agency right that idea of having power and 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 being able to use it in the service of myself and in the con and and others and in the context of trying to accomplish our shared goals that are aligned with our shared values is incredibly powerful. I absolutely love that connection. I'm going to go back now and read some more about this because I think it's a great connection. It's incredibly powerful.
1: Yeah, he's still like, writing a lot of new stuff in that space. Um, as you said, that hasn't been that sexy, but he's kind of you know bringing the sexy back for management. <laughs> <laughs>
0: There we go. I think management is management is so underrated. It's so important. We haven't really giving it the, but it's interesting because I just came from a conference in Portugal. We were talking about this before and everyone I spoke to when, when we got down to like the real practicalities of it all, they all said people who are leading equity, diversity, and inclusion, who are CEOs, who are HR leaders, all sorts of different people who have Kind of leadership titles in organizations all at the end of the day game came down to the same thing managers have so much ability to really help us drive an agenda it's something that's really powerful yeah. we can help managers see this as something that is meaningful to them meaningful to the organization and then really kind of align that energy a lot of times in organizations managers have the hardest jobs right they they they, seem, they feel like they have to report up to all those ROI <laughs> stats, right? They're always driving KPIs. They always are trying to make the case for why it is that their unit, their part of the organization needs to be protected, needs more resources. They're advocating, right, for their 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 people and their resources. And then, of course, they have the people who work with them who they need to advocate for as well. They're constantly helping to Um, solve problems and give feedback and provide coaching and alignment and, and also reporting on track of things. It's Mm -hmm. such a difficult job. The, the, The tricky part with managers is that they're pulled either kind of in either of two directions, but being able to see themselves as having support amongst each other and see themselves as having kind of an identity that has a unique opportunity to really help with where we're going is a powerful repositioning, I think, of the idea of management. That's fantastic. Let
1: me tell you, I, if I can just be honest, I, I am a great leader, but founding the tribe made me realize that I was not a great manager. <laughs> <great leader. laughs> it's harder. I agree with you. It's harder um, to be a manager. <laughs> <laughs> and I also am not, I've never been great at being managed, too. So it's just been like such an interesting like internal just like struggle. But um, when you are building something that you are now passionate about it once see things to fruition. Yeah, I was taking the time more now before my meeting to prep to make sure that I'm looking at the detail and I'm not sort of kind of outsourcing it to someone else and paying it. And that creates or rather in still a certain discipline actually in your organization when someone or when there's a consciousness around paying attention to the detail. Um, because for me, as much as it's a practical thing, how I've made sense of it is that it's almost this way of aligning the system to its natural natural flow of productivity. And if we looked at it that way, then managers also you know, appreciate the well-being part of it, of productivity, yes. right? And it's not just about the reporting, the numbers, the ROI stuff, etc., but it's also how I got there, right? And through who and how did that influence people to actually, you know, execute and um, get things unstuck, as you put it.
0: I, I absolutely agree on the resonance. And thank you so much. I First of all, I love the word discipline. I get a lot of pushback about that because discipline for some people seems like it might be harsh um, or, or negative. I actually think discipline is a foundation for people who are going to be effective at any stage, that there needs to be some things that we commit to and that we actually do. Right. There's a and. And, and, and showing up in the way that I want to show up takes discipline practice. It means if I want to show up as being emotionally intelligent, if I want to show up as being um, a role model, if I want to show up as being patient, if I want to create space for other voices, then there are certain disciplines that I have to build into my life. I have to that that may not have anything to do with work but have everything to do with work right that include my meditation practice or the food that i ingest mm-hmm. or making sure that i have the right amount of caffeine but not too much because it's one cup away from being kind of a, a nightmare or or the right amount of sleep or showing gratitude the the words that i right. choose right i can choose affirmative words over negative and punishing words and all of those are to me the way that I think you just also alluded to this beautifully is are the combination or the the alignment between discipline, um, well-being, and also intentionality, and that's what we're talking about when we're talking about inclusive leadership and management. It's that those intentional mm-hmm. practices and understanding that all of those things have to be present in me in order for me right. to create space for it to exist around me and the benefits of that. Are not only going to be to my organization, but they will absolutely be for be for me as well. And that that beautiful kind of synergy. But it takes work. I can't just go through life on autopilot. I can't I can't be um, constantly in the mode of putting out fires. I can't always be in crisis mode. I have to be able and willing to prioritize some of those other things that are a dis- part of a disciplined practice that will allow me to show up with the kind of intentionality. Necessary.
1: So, so true. And you can only fully understand that once you've actually embodied it. Mm. Like, uh, in my in my work at the moment, I'm doing a lot of coaching circles, right? And what you're talking about exactly is getting managers and leaders um comfortable firstly, just having these conversations, but also then um conscientizing them on these issues. And making it normal to talk about it in terms of you know I actually have an issue with this member of the team and I find I see us struggling to connect. Help me find better ways to really uh, uh, work well together, and also just find commonalities. We are humans, and it always goes back to that being human. When when we were looking at um, as the tribe, the Nomalanga tribe. Um, our three pillars of well-being, leadership and culture. It almost happened automatically. Like, I didn't really have to think very hard about it because there's so much synergy in those three things. It's almost the same sort of thing working yes. together and maybe representing, um, hmm, the, the heart, the soul, um, of the organization, like in a way that keeps it sort of going. And at first, I didn't know also how I could infuse and integrate the three, right? Because especially now, when the culture aspect of our work is really specifically around justice, equity, diversity, inclusion, um, and belonging work, right? But when I took a step back and looked at the the fundamental principles of these things that we're talking about, as you say, about it is about intentionality and consciousness. In fact, one of the, the quotes that really gave put me in this aha moment around our work is, is the Stephen Frost quote that says, if you're not consciously including, you're unconsciously excluding. And it points directly to what you actually are saying. But I noticed that when I'm sitting with leaders, six leaders in a coaching circle and we're talking about the importance of how do I make space, um, how do I take space and giving them the tools, you know, on on, on on how to navigate the Tuhari window and all of that sort of stuff. It's very hard to teach the stuff from uh, <laughs> a hit space. <laughs> like it almost doesn't land also the way that you want to yeah, um, and it doesn't also translate to action. Whereas, you know, this is important work that needs activity, activism, you know, execution, all of those outward like um, activities. And I think for me, you are so right in terms of when I am conscious, when I prepare how I go into that coaching circle. In my meditation practice um, and my yoga practice, my whatever some people pray, some people go for a boxing sessions, some people go for Pilates, whatever it might be. But it's this process of, um, I guess, aligning yourself, grounding yourself, aligning your energy, being conscious of yourself within the body. I know that sounds, you know, kind of cosmic and out there, but that is the power and the strength and hmm, the meta-beingness, I don't know if I can put it that way, that makes me influential and differentiates me actually in the space. Um, because as you see, it's become so populated. I mean, how do you, what is your voice and how do you share your way of, of intervening in it if it's not stemming from a sense of embodiment and, and this experience?
0: I love it. Yes. And the embodiment is just uh, absolutely right. It's it's I, I know so many people I've done this, you know, also I've it kind of intellectualized certain things. And I know that this is often yeah. practice. People are like, just tell me exactly what to do. Just tell me that. Give me the checklist. OK, but have you tried any of it? Right. If you're coming to work, mm-hmm. always frazzled and always in crisis mode and always in problem solving mode, but you haven't taken a nap ever or you're hungry, or the food that you're eating is not sitting well with your, you know, your system. If you're, if if you're, um, if if you're unhealthy, right? Whatever it is, if you don't have, um, a, a loving relationships in your personal world and or in your organization, all of those things are necessary, right, to actually be able to kind of zoom out. And I know that we live in a world where quick hits and little sound bites are very popular but the embodiment of the, the interconnected pieces of ourselves is exactly where I feel like we should be. And I feel like the work that you've done has always been so resonant with me because I think you've, you've always described that. You've always come to it in that way. And I've never seen um, a really effective leader. And I've worked, you know, for many, many years, 30 plus years, with a lot of different kinds of leaders. Everybody has a different style. I don't have an opinion about the exact right style of leadership and you have to be exactly this or exactly yeah. that. But you have, to be, you have to be able to think about all the different aspects of who I am and how I want to show up in the world and put those things together in a disciplined and intentional practice that works for you and that allows you to have the outcomes that you seek. But that ability to kind of pull back and say, I, I have to say no to this or I have to invest this in myself and I'm not going to worry about how this might be judged or I'm going to make sure that my voice is authentic to me or that I'm embodying the things that I believe in are present is absolutely necessary. But you're right, this is not an intellectual activity, which in the United States is part of the difficulty, right? We believe ourselves, especially in the United States, it's, I don't know how, how prevalent this is also in your in your world, but in the United States, we believe ourselves to be very analytical. We believe ourselves to be very objective and it's hard to be perfectly analytical and objective and all of these other things at the same time, because some things aren't just about reading a book and having a checklist and following it. Some right. things really are about right. embodying things that are a little bit more um, ambiguous, that may be a little bit more about consciousness or even spirituality.
1: Right. And if, even if we don't use those specific words, when, it, it, when we break it down, it really goes goes down to that <laughs> and if you are reflective um, I mean let's say somebody who joined your um, increased amount of school care program, it, if that person really reflects afterwards those are the tools actually that you get obviously if you a particular context or so we want to tailor it for the organizational success etc but that's the core and I think what you're mentioning around your inner world um, connecting to the outer world um, and managing that space is so key because like one of the key lessons um that we came to in one of the coaching circles I had as well and these are like executives right that it takes them a while to move even into the space and just acknowledge that it, is, it exists so then they'd rather maybe think that we are just machinery and robotics and that sort of thing and maybe just I say the words about people being our greatest asset but that's not where I'm going today <laughs> with the conversation where I do want to go is that one of the biggest aha moments we got was around if you haven't been aware of yourself in terms of you know the first question you ask, what are the ingredients of joy yeah. and how diverse those parts are of who you are You haven't calibrated, integrated, sat with all of those things internally and been aware of it constantly as you engage as a manager or a leader. Of course, it will make the journey of becoming a conscious, inclusive leader more difficult because you haven't walked the journey. You haven't exercised the brain capacity. You haven't built the neurological pathway to even start thinking that, in fact, Perhaps some of you even shunned yeah. and seen it as weak within yourself. Oh, if I'm actually caring about people I work with and I show that, ooh, that's a bit of a weakness. So I can't say that within myself. You know, if I actually show self care, I know this is a interesting topic around self care and maybe being over and around. I know the older generation has views on it, but. You haven't been able to love yourself. It's a simple fact of how can you then learn the skills that, and, and have the apparatus of loving then outside of yourself? Yeah. Yeah. And that we can exchange the word love with any other word, you know, that can suit our topic for today. But it's just the point around the interconnectedness of what's happening in your inner world and your journey of conquering that. Versus then showing up to be able to actually include others
0: as well. I love it. I love it. I, I um, yeah. I, 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 love the word love. I have no fear of it, but I agree. Not everyone will will find it as easily palatable. <clears throat> it's it's a it's um it's inspiring to know that this conversation is happening in many different places. And I know you, with the Nomalanga tribe, are building um a lot of really wonderful leaders and space for people to understand what this looks like, this new works looks like. What's, what's next? What's next with, um, with your work?
1: (laughs) So, um, we are publishing the book, right? At first I thought it would be published without a a forward writer. And then I found someone so amazing. I'll share a bit later on, um, in terms of who can introduce this body of work in the world. And it's a book around, um, self-healing, self-rediscovery, and self-leading, and just learning the art of doing that as a journey process, excited about using that as a resource in a lot of the programs and courses that I've done, Anyway, and even in the individual coaching sessions, because it really is more of a guidebook that's interactive and requires you to reflect and put on paper some of these thoughts and feelings that you maybe are ashamed or shy, to do outside of ourselves. So this is almost the first sort of step for self-healing. And then secondly, building and improving the phases of the app that supports um, leader wellness. And for me, I'm so excited about the possibility, as you mentioned earlier, of combining these ancient indigenous healing sort of um, arts and and and, and interventions within this new age tech application at the palm of your hand combining those two roles in that sort of way um i think that once we achieve that once we achieve that i'll I'll be very pleased with myself i can't wait
0: oh i can't wait i will be one of your very first subscribers and absolutely one of the (laughs) first people to buy the book i've I learned so much from you Um, every time we speak. I feel like your presence in the world is just such a gift to me and to all of us, everyone who um, has come um, into contact with you. And definitely we get the same when um, our, our clients and our participants in the Inclusive Manager's Toolkit and other places interact. Thank you for your wisdom. Before we leave though, I have a quick question. I sometimes ask this of our other podcast guests and I thought, I'm just gonna ask you, I'm gonna put you on the spot so you have to think quick. If you yes. could say that there's one song that represents the soundtrack of your life right now, one song that you feel just is really resonating with you, what would it be and why? I
1: love that question. <laughs> um, and I've been um, just exploring my gift of sound healing and music has been a very big part of that in um, the last year. And the one song that immediately pops into my mind is the song Believer by this um, lady in Africa called Asha, but it's pronounced Asha, with an H. And it's such an uplifting song. Well, firstly, she looks like a unicorn in that video, music video. (laughs) The way she danced, removed moves, unbounded, free... Nothing you've ever seen before. You can't say what dance moves. She's like. just moving to the music. And we're emphasizing, I think, what I said earlier to you about my core identity being a believer. And uh, when she just goes, I'm a believer. <laughs> I'm a believer. I just love it so much. And I hope you get to just kind of uh, listen and check it out, so
0: Definitely, definitely. I'm always I've I've been working on putting together a um, a soundtrack for Culture Road. (laughs) So this is definitely going to make the soundtrack. Thank you so, so much, Dr. Joy. It's been a delight, as always, having this conversation with you. Uh, Thank you for the work that you do and make sure to um, to let us know. We, We will continue to we'll make sure to send out all of your social media information. Um, but also, we can't wait for your book to drop and also for that amazing app. And we'll keep following the Nomalanga tribe and you, of course, Dr. Joy.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate the, the invitation and, and you and, and all of you, That all the people that work with you and have actually opened this platform for us to to connect, seen and unseen. It's in the room. <laughs> Thank, you, Thank you, Dr. You. Joy.